some retired couples were, were visiting one evening, and as often the case, the men ended up at one end of the room, and the ladies were at the other end of the room. And one of the men was, was talking, and he was kind of a forgetful gent, and he was commenting to the other guys, we ate at this restaurant last night. It was the best restaurant. Oh, what's that name? He struggled on. It's a, a flower. It smells real good. has thorns on it. Trying to be helpful, one of his buddies blurted out, Rose? Yeah, that's it. Hey, Rose, what's the name of that restaurant where we ate last night? Well, there are some things that you should never forget, and uh, your wife's name is, is one of them. And this past weekend, we've been focusing on marriage with our marriage retreat, and uh, it was a privilege to get to be a part of that. And I'm grateful that uh, my wife, Johnny, could accompany me, and we love spending some time with Jeff and Peg and, and getting to meet many of you. And I just hope you uh, realize how blessed you are to have them serving and, and leading in the church here, and, and just what great... Uh, leaders, they, they are in the great job that's being done at, here at Crosspoint. Well, there was smoke curling out of a remote cabin in eastern Kentucky, back in the hills there, when a, a government census taker went up and knocked on the, the door of the cabin. A, a little girl dressed in tattered clothing opened the door. He said, hi, honey, could I uh, talk to your daddy for a minute? She said, nope, he's in prison. Okay, well, could, could I talk to your mom then? She said, nope, she ran off with the moonshiner. I said, all right, well, do you have an older sister? Yep. Well, could I talk to, to, uh, to her then? She said, nope, she's in the insane asylum. <laughs> this is not going well. He said, do you have an older brother? Yep. Well, could I talk to him, please? Nope, he's at Harvard. Harvard, he said. What's he studying at Harvard? Nothing. They're studying him. Well, this morning I want us to, to study a, a subject that is in the Bible that's one we, we don't talk about uh, as often as, as maybe we, we should. But we want to focus on it today. Is you are looking at different apps. There's an app for that. Well, there's an app to, to overcome this temptation of, of lust. We want to focus on on that. It, it's a sin that people aren't quick to admitting. It, it's safer and easier to say, well, I struggle with anger, or uh, I struggle with envy, or I struggle with pride. And Satan uses this sexual temptation of lust to render many of us ineffective for God's purpose. Bob Russell joked that 97% of all men struggle with lust. The other 3% struggle with lying. And so it is a universal problem in our world today. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And it is to that end that we study right now. I want to be very frank with you today and speak candidly about this subject that we must guard ourselves against judiciously. First, I want you to see the, the lure of lust. And that's what happens is this God-given desire goes awry. It was God who created sex. He designed us as sexual beings. He was the author who originated 
this pleasurable means of sharing intimacy with one's spouse and procreating to keep the human race alive. Satan, incapable of creating, instead turned to perverting something made by God that was good, and Satan has distorted the approach to sex that reduces it to the purpose of solely satisfying one's selfish desires, being gratified even outside of God's intended context of marriage. Satan cheapens and minimizes what was invented to be a spiritual blending of two lives into one flesh. Sometimes something that was provided for for married couples by God to be a powerful, meaningful, and and bonding experience has now been profaned into a common conclusion to a first date with someone who doesn't share a lifelong commitment to your best interests. In today's society, sex has moved from being a religious experience to a relational expression, and it's moved on, in some cases, to being a recreational activity. And what has fueled this not-so-gradual freefall from God's first plan is this fatal distraction of lust. You don't have to look very far to realize that we live in a sex-saturated society that has gone astray. We are all bombarded daily by billboards and magazine ads and literally hundreds of sexual images which prey on this healthy, God-given sexual appetite. Sex sells in America, and it adds up to big profits. And advertisers know that nothing catches the eye more quickly than a sexual image. The storylines of TV shows plus the the mediums of movies and music and the Internet all serve to to titillate the sexual saturation of our culture. And, And it even has spilled over into the church where many today don't even know what God's expectations are about purity or why his way makes the most sense. This lure of lust centers on the unknown possibilities of a forbidden relationship with another. And what begins as innocently noticing an attractive person can become dwelling in our thoughts on that person and can grow into obsessing about him or her and then immoral actions also often follow those immoral thoughts. I want to be really clear. Lust is not seeing a beautiful woman and thinking, that's a beautiful woman. I like what Billy Graham said about lust. He said, the first look does not get us in trouble. It's the second look and the third look. Lust is when you start to picture yourself with this person sexually. Ed Young Jr. described it like this. Lust is casting a lingering look at the newly hired secretary. It is deciding to conduct business at a local men's club. It is surfing the Internet for yet another image to download into a private file. It is a group of guys huddled around a magazine rack gawking at the latest issue of Playboy or the the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 28, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Freud said, thought is action in rehearsal. If you feed your thoughts on what are inappropriate actions, it is only a matter of time and opportunity before you will act them out. So it becomes vital that we know how to resist this temptation. And temptations like this don't just go away. Temptation is inevitable, but disobedience is not. You can do the right thing when faced with the temptation of lust. Martin Luther once said in in reference to sexual temptation, you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep him from building a nest there. And while you will naturally feel attraction to others or even temptation by another, you can refuse to nurture those thoughts or take steps of action to advance them into wrongdoing. You can't keep them from landing in your mind, but you can keep them from taking up residency there. And men face a greater susceptibility in this respect because we have been wired by God to be very visually oriented and and stimulated sexually by the sight uh, of a beautiful woman. Women are usually more attracted emotionally to men who are kind and caring and sensitive listeners. Women are thinking, he'd make a great father for our future children. And men are thinking, she looks great in a low-cut top and tight jeans. I want her to be the mother of my kids. And so with those gender differences understood, we understand more easily why men are more tempted to pornographic images that are visual, that, that feed lust, videos, Internet sites, magazines. Well, at the same time, women are more susceptible to immoral storylines that appeal to their sense of emotion or, or romance. And so they have to guard against chat rooms or soap operas or, or, or romance novels. And that's why a, a man is at a greater risk of getting involved with a friend or, or a neighbor or a co-worker on the basis of physical attraction, while a woman is at risk of getting involved with a man who, who seems to understand her, who really listens, who is intellectually interesting. And often that's a a calculating, smooth operator who knows what women want and will temporarily grant it in hopes of getting what he, as a man, wants. I heard about a couple who didn't communicate much. And the wife called a girlfriend and said, "Uh, What are you doing? Her girlfriend said, Oh, Bill and I were just sitting at the kitchen table drinking coffee and talking. So the wife got off the phone. She said to her husband, Why can't we ever do that? What? He grunted. Well, Bill and Teresa are sitting at their kitchen table this very moment, drinking coffee and talking. They're connecting. Well, not to be outdone, her husband said, Well, uh, put on some coffee. So she she made the coffee. Then they, they sat down at the kitchen table. And after several minutes of awkward silence, he suggested... Uh, call her back and see what they were talking about. Well, we need to understand our gender differences. And God has made men and women very differently. And so men must be careful what they see. 
several years ago, I was at a Promise Keepers conference, and Joe Stoll connected with his audience of men by being transparent, telling about a temptation he'd encountered that very morning in the hotel elevator. He said, I was alone on the elevator when an attractive woman, make that a very attractive woman, entered the elevator. And Stoll said, she must have been in a hurry to get ready because all she had taken time to put on was her T-shirt and jeans. And that was all. And he described the tension of the struggle he faced during those ensuing seconds, the temptation to stare at her beautiful form and the salacious salute to her physical beauty. But instead he ended up conquering that temptation by looking her in the eyes, greeting her politely, and then silently praying for her until they exited the elevator. You see, this fatal distraction of lust reduces other people to sex objects that exist for the selfish satisfaction of one's personal pleasure. In the Old Testament, in chapter 31 of the book of Job, the godly author Job wrote, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Does God not see my ways and count my every step? If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, if my heart has been enticed by a woman, that would have been shameful, a sin to be judged. He vowed fidelity to his wife. And he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And while men must be careful what they see, women must be careful what they show. A Christian woman has a responsibility to dress modestly and not dress in a provocative manner designed to entice or, or draw attention to her body. First Timothy 2 verse 9 says, I, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. It goes on to emphasize not being so concerned with the external trappings of beauty, but being more focused on developing the inner qualities of beauty. I want to add that there are, are men and women who through circumstances and tendencies and choices have developed sexual attractions of a homosexual or, or lesbian nature which need to be resistant, resisted and overcome as well. Lust, by definition, is any sexual feeling or desire for someone other than one's spouse. For many years, Englishman Malcolm Muggeridge was the editor of the British magazine Punch. He was a respected journalist known internationally. And Muggeridge tells a, a story in his autobiography, The Wasted Years, that illustrates a biblical truth. He had been faithful to his wife, for the length of their marriage, but he carried the thought in the back of his mind that if ever the right opportunity presented itself, that he would be intimate with another woman just for the experience of it. He writes, that opportunity seemed to present itself while I was in India teaching journalism far away from my wife and family. Very early one morning, I rose and went swimming in the Ganges River. On such morning, I saw a, a woman bathing herself in the river 
quite a distance away. This is my moment. After all, I'm a wealthy Englishman. She is a poor Indian. What could it hurt? Who will know? And he began to swim upstream to her. And as he swam, he struggled, not just with the current of the river, but also against the current of his conscience. And an inner battle began to take place. Malcolm, a a voice inside seemed to say, don't do it. But then another voice countered, this is your chance. It's now or never. He continued to swim toward her, staying underneath the water until he was only a few feet away. And when he surfaced, it was he, not she, who experienced the shock of a lifetime. He came up out of the water and looked into the eyes of a woman who was a leper. Her nose had been eaten away. There were open sores and white blotches all over her skin. The ends of her fingers were gone. And she looked more like an animal than a human being. Immediately repulsed, he thought, what a wretched woman she is. But then at almost the same moment, he was overwhelmed with the devastating truth. What a wretched man I am. He came to understand a a basic principle. Physical leprosy is crippling and terminal, but spiritual leprosy is deadly and eternal. And Malcolm's graphic real-life experience illustrates an unalterable truth that when we walk away from the plan of God, we walk right into the disease of sin. Regardless of how Satan is attacking us with this fatal distraction of lust, I have a message of hope for you today. There is help. There is a cure. You can become victorious. And so let's focus on that in the the remaining time we have. It it all begins when we admit the struggle. A young man asked a wise old monk, when will the sinful appetites of the flesh no longer hold power over me. And the old monk surprised him with his answer. He said, I wouldn't trust myself until I've been dead for three days. And for many, lust is a lifelong struggle. Before there can be victory, however, one must admit the past defeat of this struggle. Lust, like most of our sinful struggles, prefers the darkness to the light. It can't withstand the scrutiny of open discussion, but it chooses to remain a covert operation. So the first step to overcoming this fatal addiction of lust is to be honest with yourself and admit, this is a problem for me. I'm struggling with this. And most people who are caught up in sexual sin are in serious denial about their sin. They believe they will never get caught and and somehow life will continue to move forward and go toward a happily ever after ending. But that's not the case. It's it's just like when a fisherman feels the line tighten and and the hook gets embedded in the jaw of the fish, suddenly it takes on a whole new dimension for that fish. The same is true for sexual sin. You can only go so long before you reach the end of your line and the hook is set. 
when your wife or husband finds out when the pregnancy test strip is the wrong color, when rejection takes the form of being fired from your job, when the doctor's diagnosis is herpes, when your mistress or lover begins to make blackmail demands, when the HIV test comes back positive, the hook is set, and then the pain begins. And be sure your sin will find you out. The deeds done in darkness will be brought to light so the sooner one is honest with his or her sin and admits it to God and takes steps to get help, the sooner the healing and restoration will begin. It's interesting to discover that throughout Scripture we are often told stand firm and face temptation. That's a repeated mantra. But there is an exception. When it comes to sexual temptation, we are told to run. Get out of there. Flee immorality, 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee youthful lusts, 2 Timothy 2.22. Portia Nelson has written a, a piece titled Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. It reads, Chapter 1. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2, I, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. And it still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it as there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down another street. Be sure to put up some guardrails to install filters on your computer, to avoid sin-promoting settings, going to that place where you know nothing good will come of being there at that time. Meet with an accountability partner of the same sex. I'd like to speak to parents for a minute. As a parent, you can't be naive to the sexual temptation your kids are encountering. You have to fight for the purity of your children. Parents, that means that you don't let your daughter dress like a streetwalker. That means that you don't let your son uh, leave a swimsuit poster uh, on his, his room at, at home. That means that you don't have an unblocked movie channel at your house. That means that you don't let your, your daughter stay at home alone with her boyfriend while you go out. That means that you don't pay for a hotel room on prom night. You guard your child's sexual purity as best you can. And you know, what will really help is uh, accountability. Dr. Howard Hendricks once said, a man who is not a part of a men's accountability group is an accident waiting to happen. Men, that's not very flattering, but it's accurate. We need to find a, a trusted Christian brother with whom we can discuss the accountability questions and have an honest format for sharing and, and improvement. Meet once a week for breakfast or for lunch and, 
that hold each other accountable in these areas where we face great temptation. Here are the seven accountability questions. Number one, have you been with a woman anywhere this week that might be seen as compromising? Number two, have you had, have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Number three, have you viewed any sexually explicit material? Number four, have you spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Number five, have you given priority time to your family? Number six, have you been productive in your work? And and my favorite is question number seven, have you just lied to me? My point is temptations for lust will find you. You don't have to seek them. But there are Christian brothers and sisters and spouses who will be all too willing to help us do the right thing. Maybe need to alternate into some positive activities. There is a need to replace old habits and haunts with some new wholesome alternatives. Out with the bad, in with the good. And as Christians, we need to avoid as as many TV programs or movies or novels or websites that are pulling us in the wrong direction and replace them with something constructive, positive, that will build us up, edify us, and help us grow in our relationship to God. In other words, we need to walk down another street. Ephesians 5.33 says, Among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Verse 5 goes on to add, No immoral person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so we need a filter. And that filter is found in Philippians 4.8. It, it tells us to focus our minds on what is true, what is noble, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is good. And let me caution you about even the moderate use of, of alcohol. I've seen firsthand the damage it can do in the sexual arena of life because alcohol reduces one's moral judgment and encourages us to act out our instincts. In my experience as a minister, I've witnessed alcohol as an accomplice in families where an elder under alcohol suggestion sexually molested his daughters. Where a businessman was made vulnerable via alcohol to multiple affairs and brought home to his godly wife an STD which resulted in cancer of the cervix. Others, because of alcohol, have lost their virginity under its influence or have been encouraged to forsake their fidelity while feeling its convincing effects. Long before I became a minister, I made a decision to abstain from drinking any alcohol. I know the Bible doesn't say that one can never have a drink. However, I think there's some real advantages in, in being a teetotaler. Even small amounts of alcohol lower our inhibitions and, and make us more susceptible to sinful choices. And I don't know about you, but I have a tough enough time trying to do the right thing without putting a substance in my body that might cloud my ability to make right decisions. Maybe you need to replace some destructive habits and alternate them with some positive activities. Maybe today's the day you need to cancel your cable service if you can't control it. Maybe it's the day to clean out the magazines by the bed or 
to break off that improper friendship with that man or woman that's beginning to, to get flirtatious. Maybe it's time to throw out those bad videos and definitely today is the day to end your affair. It's time to clean house. It's time to clean up our thinking. It's time to provide a consecrated home for the Holy Spirit to dwell in our lives. I remember hearing Professor Lewis Foster share many years ago about a mission trip he had taken to India. And while there he had, had preached to the, the local nationals, was talking to them about this spiritual warfare, this conflict, this inner struggle of, of good versus evil, right versus wrong, this tangible tension of whether we will yield to temptation or be personally empowered by the Holy Spirit to be victorious over temptation. And after Dr. Foster completed his message, an Indian national approached him and said, I know the struggle that you were describing. I feel as though there are two dogs fighting inside me, and the dog I feed wins. He's got it. That's it. The dog you feed wins. So today I'm challenging you to feed the right dog. Maybe this has been a tough topic for you today and you're thinking, well, Jeff, I could have really used this message years ago. I, I've already messed up in this area of my life and, and I've destroyed my purity. I lost my virginity. I, I've dented my fidelity. Maybe you're crying out, I, I can't change the past. And while it's true we can't undo past mistakes, we can correct the current course and prevent future heartbreak. I notice in Scripture that Jesus was especially loving to individuals who were overtaken by sexual sin. He extended grace. He provided forgiveness. And then he would call them to a new lifestyle. In John 8, 11, he said, Neither do I condemn you to the woman who had been caught in adultery. Now go and leave your life of sin. I forgive you. Now do better. Follow God's way. No matter how many times you have fallen into temptation, no matter how many times you have yielded to sin, you can still come to the Lord and receive His grace, His forgiveness to, to make a fresh start in your life. No matter how many affairs you have had or how long you've been in a sinful relationship, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can break this pattern of sin in your life. You can begin a new walk of sexual purity before the Lord. And remember, the pure in heart will see God. Today, will you choose to break free of your bondage of lust? It, it all depends on which dog you choose to feed. I challenge you in the days to come to feed the right dog. Sometimes it helps us to have a tangible reminder that we can see off and, and let that serve as a, a visual aid, an object lesson of our focus. So when you leave today, we've prepared uh, a baggie containing some dog food with a, a laminated reminder that says, feed the right dog. So put that someplace where you'll see it, maybe on your desk, uh, by your computer, uh, in your car, by the kitchen sink. Place it in a place of prominence, and each time you see it, may it be a reminder that God wants to provide you the strength 
to escape every temptation that you will encounter. If you feed the right dog, you will be victorious. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now, and I want to pray for us. Dear Father, we long to be perfectly whole. We want You forever to live in our souls. Break down every idol. Cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, yes. Whiter than snow. Lord, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. That's our prayer today, Lord. In Jesus' name.